Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to be with you. Thank you for joining us and sharing your Christmas Eve with us here. I'm Wyatt, for those of you who don't know me. And on behalf of all of Alderwood, we're just really grateful to have you with, here with us today. Uh, I thought that today I might share with you one of my favorite Christmas stories of all time. Does that sound okay? It's, uh, it's from a long time ago. It's a unique one. Uh, the story goes back to Christmas of 1914. And it takes place in an odd spot. It takes place in cold, wet, muddy trenches dug all throughout Europe. See, 1914 was the year that World War I began. And it began in August. And by December, the, the war was just four months old. Uh, nobody called it World War I at that point because no one knew that there was going to be a World War II. And so they called it the Great War. But even before they called it the Great War, in the early parts of the war, most people didn't have any idea that World War I would become the major conflict that it became. If you go back and read through the diaries of some of the soldiers in World War I as they're getting called into service and heading to war, you can see that many of them really expected the war to be over pretty quickly and to not be that big of a deal. The, the German soldiers in particular were very naive about what they were headed into. They, they really thought that they were going to be home by Christmas that year, that in just four months this war would be over. They thought they were going to sweep through France with very little resistance and just return victorious in a few months. But in September of 1914, just one month into the war, as Germany was trying to push into France, the French military had a decisive victory in a battle. And so that idea of a quick German victory was gone. And instead, what happened was is that both sides just dug in along a 475-mile-long stretch that would become known as the Western Front. It went all the way from the English Channel to the Swiss Alps. And there were just miles and miles of these trenches. And in between the, the trenches of both sides of this, uh, this conflict, often there was just maybe 50 yards or 75 yards of land, of flat, barren land, and it was called no man's land because no one could survive in this middle ground between the two trenches. I got a couple of photos of actual trenches from World War I where this was happening. And you can see these young guys um, you know, 18, 19 years old, many of them, and digging through the trenches, living in this. This next one gives you a little bit better picture of what it might have looked like. And, you know, this, for the people on the front lines here, it was horrendous. I mean, the, the war conditions were the worst that anybody had ever seen. Uh, every time either side would try to advance, would, would get out of their trenches and try to move on to the enemy's territory, they would just inflicts all kinds of casualties. The advances would be called off. It was a stalemate, really, and, and many people were dying. But in addition to the, the war and how terrible that was, just living conditions themselves were awful. I mean, they're living in these trenches. It's winter in Europe. It's cold. It's wet. It's miserable. The, the trenches don't drain very well, and so they just fill up with water, and you're living in the mud. And, and so just imagine being one of these young men. I mean, you think that you had had become a part of this small little conflict that was going to be over before Christmas. And by the time December 1914 rolls around, it's miserable, it's awful, and also there's just no end in sight. Well, it was also becoming clear to the world that World War I was becoming a massive conflict that was going to lead to a really great human tragedy. And so on December 7th of 1914... The Pope at the time, Pope Benedict, he made an appeal to the leaders on both sides of this conflict, and he, he asked that they would consider a Christmas truce. 
that for just one day on December 25th, they would lay down their arms and enjoy a day of peace. And Pope Benedict was asking that on the night when the angels sing, the guns may fall silence. And word of that proposal spread, but the only problem was that the leaders in the military wanted nothing to do with it. They, they rejected it outright. The command from the generals to their troops was just simply that the fighting would continue with no break, with no pause whatsoever for Christmas. And, and so that was all anybody knew about what was going to happen, that the war was just going to continue as is. But that Christmas Eve, something unexpected happened. Uh, the English troops were in their trench, and, you know, night had fallen, the temperatures had dropped, they're freezing, they're, they're trying to light, you know, wet, soggy cigarettes, just trying to stay warm and do whatever they can. But then in the night, they heard something that they hadn't heard before on any of the nights previous. Coming the direction of the German trench across no man's land, they heard the sound of singing. And they listened closely, and they realized that even though it was sung in German, they could actually pick up on what song was being sung. The Germans were singing Stille Nacht, or in English you might know it as Silent Night. And as they're singing, pretty soon the English troops start to sing along. They start to sing along in English, and, and both sides recognize what's happening. And, and this very strange thing happens where these, these armies, these troops on both sides of this war start caroling together, singing Christmas songs, when just hours earlier they had been firing machine guns at each other. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, one of the German troops kind of breaks the ice. He climbs up out of his trench, and he yells across to the English side in broken English, says, can any of you spare an extra bottle of wine? <laughs> and, and the English troops responded. The, the German guy said, okay, if you come halfway, then I'll come halfway, and we'll meet in the middle. Now think about what this is. I mean, they're talking about entering into no man's land, the place where you have no cover, the place where anyone who goes, they get shot at by the enemy, and you don't make it usually. And, and they're saying, let's, let's just come out together, and we'll both be there at the same time. And, and that's exactly what they do. They come out, and they meet in the middle on Christmas Eve. They shake hands. They start to exchange trinkets with each other and kind of barter for cigarettes and alcohol and that kind of thing. And they, they, they show each other, you know, photos of their families and this incredible thing happens where even though there was no order given, nothing official allowed, but just the troops themselves decide that there will be a truce on Christmas Day. So they go to bed, and, and the next morning they wake up when the sun comes up on Christmas morning, and they all go back out to no man's land again. And just for a day, they become friends. Uh, they, they play together. They hang out together. One of the British guys, he, he pulls out a chair and starts cutting people's hair. He, he keeps on, uh, you know, offering the Germans that he'll give them a haircut if they just give them two cigarettes. And one of the English guys finds a soccer ball, and they bring it out, and they set up a soccer field in no man's land. And the, the English and the Germans start playing soccer with each other on Christmas Day. This really happened. I got some photos to show you. This is really from uh, people on Christmas Day, 1914. These are French and German troops, and they're just hanging out and posing for photos together in no man's land. This next one is the soccer game that I told you about. This is them playing in the middle of World War I. I mean, again, just think about it. Like yesterday, they were trying to kill each other. Now on Christmas Day, they're, they're hanging out. And, and as uh, people reflected on this, and one of the German lieutenants, his name is Kurt Zamisch, and he described it this way in his journal. How, how marvelously wonderful Yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, 
managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. Now, you know the end of the story. It doesn't last, right? I mean, when the, uh, when the leadership of both armies find out, they're furious. They, they shut it down as quickly as they can. And so just a few days later, everything's back to normal. The, the war continues on for four years before it finally comes to an end. But the reason I love this story is because I think it reveals something about the power and the beauty of Christmas. It shows something about this day that we celebrate, the day that proves that God's goodness can break into the most profound darkness of this world. That no matter how bleak things get here, no matter how dark things get here, God's love is still powerful enough to overcome that. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that in the darkness of our lives, of our world, Jesus is born. God enters into our world to bring light. See, that was a hard message to believe on Christmas morning when Jesus was born. See, for God's people, it seemed like they had been living in darkness for hundreds of years. It had been a thousand years since the height of Israel's kingdom when King David and King Solomon were on the throne and God's power was visible for all to see. It had been a thousand years since then. And in that thousand years, there hadn't been a lot to be optimistic about. See, God had promised that one day a king would come who would usher in his eternal kingdom. But that king just seemed to never show up. King after king of Israel came. None of them brought in God's kingdom. And many of them were just outright rebellious. They didn't even walk with God at all. And God's people had fallen into disobedience and rebellion. And God's judgment had come because of that. The kingdom of Israel had been defeated by foreign nations. The people had been dragged off into exile. And by the time Jesus was born, the people had returned to their lands, but they were still suffering under the weight of foreign oppression. And it would have been easy to think that God was never going to show up, that, that God wasn't going to do what he promised, that, that maybe God had been even defeated. And yet that is the moment when Jesus comes into our world. And, and this concept that Jesus is the light that breaks into our darkness, it's a part of some of the most famous Christmas passages that we celebrate this time of year. You probably will recognize the words of Isaiah 9. We, we say them often around Christmas time. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And as well known as those words are, what's less known is how that prophecy begins, the promise that Jesus is light breaking into darkness. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. The promise that one day God is going to show up and not leave us in darkness any longer. And when the Apostle John introduces us to Jesus, when he writes his gospel in the New Testament, that's exactly how John describes Jesus to us. We've been saying these words already in our service today through the video. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And this is verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. See, the promised light of Isaiah 9, it is Jesus. 
And just like the people of God, when Jesus was born, had reason maybe to doubt God's goodness, I wonder if you have any of that in your life, if you've been living in any amount of darkness. And if that's the case, then the message that I want you to hear this Christmas is that Jesus is the light of God's goodness. Jesus is the promise of God that he will not leave you in darkness forever. He will come. He will meet you where you are. He will offer you life and light. See, Christmas is the message that no matter what the darkness is that you face in this world, Jesus is the light that can break through it. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus because of Christmas morning. See, that's the, that's the hope that Christmas offers us. But you have to be willing to receive it. See, in order to receive the love of God, you first have to be willing to recognize that you need it. In order to receive the light of God, you have to be able to admit that you've been living in darkness. Jesus came to forgive your sins, but in order to receive forgiveness, you have to admit that you need it. And Jesus came to give you a relationship with God. But in order to have your relationship with God restored, you have to be willing to acknowledge that you have broken it. Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, but he came to become king. And so this Christmas, my question to you is, will you receive Jesus as your king and allow him to bring light into the darkness of your life? That's the offer of Christmas, and I hope that you'll receive it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for Christmas. We are thankful that in the midst of our darkness, you came to us. And you didn't come to us in power to rule and to dominate, but you came to us humble, a baby in a manger, to live and to show us life in your kingdom, to invite us to receive forgiveness and to experience relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray for any of us here who have not yet received that offer, that tonight would be the night that we hear the message of Christmas, maybe in a unique way for the first time in response. Lord, we thank you that you're powerful enough to change any hearts, to bring to life any of us who are still walking in darkness. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that work here. As we go about our evening, as our Christmas, our time with family, Lord, help us to reflect on what you've done for us, to be full of gratitude and to be full of love, to be able to look around at the people that you've brought into our life and to love them in the way that you've loved us first. So Lord, please continue to do the work that you're doing in our community and our families. Show us how we can be a part of what it is that you're up to. We love you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.